Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. bless us and help us during this time and I appreciate that wholeheartedly amen to my, tonight Mark chapter number 3 I'm going to begin in verse number 13 I'm just going to kind of get in the teaching mode here uh, this evening I'll try to be more mindful of your time than what I was last Wednesday amen if we can make an agreement a pact concerning that here tonight um, Mark chapter number 3 this is really just going to be a starting point for us I got several scriptures that uh, would like to go to tonight I'm going to talk to us this evening about the apostolic truth talk to us tonight about the apostolic truth I know it's a word that we have it in our name you know it's just kind of a good little label but uh, the reason why we are who we are what we are the apostolic truth Mark 3 verse 13 the Bible says he goeth up into a mountain and they calleth and calleth unto him whom he would this is speaking of Jesus and they came unto him and he ordained twelve they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach to have power to heal sicknesses to cast out devils Simon he surnamed Peter James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James and he surnamed them Bonagiris which is the sons of thunder and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot which also betrayed him they went into a house so tonight I want to talk to us about the apostolic truth and you can't talk about the apostolic truth without talking about the apostles the apostles amen amen let's pray right now father I come to you tonight I'm grateful Lord for being here thank you Jesus for your loving kindness Lord that you express and show to us day by day I'm so Lord overwhelmed God of that unfathomable love Lord Jesus that you place upon our lives God open our minds and understanding help us Lord Jesus to God pull in close and tight Lord the truth of your word the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen you may be seated the apostolic the apostolic truth after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it wasn't that he resurrected and ascended into glory. And boom, that was the end of the story concerning his journey here upon the earth. We understand, according to the book of Acts, that after Jesus resurrected and he uh, took, as it were, the blood of his own sacrifice, amen, to the heavenlies, he did come back. And the Bible says that he spent with those that believed in him, his disciples, his apostles, he spent 40 days on earth after his resurrection the Bible says basically he was proving with many infallible proofs that he was indeed alive though the story had been told that he died upon a cross and was put in a tomb and there were other uh, words and rumors that were going around that the disciples had come and stolen away his body and some of even the uh, soldiers that stood guard there at the tomb was given money in order to help purport that rumor around about because they didn't want the truth of there being a living Lord and Savior uh, to get out. He came and then showed himself unto his disciples, apostles, that we can also say many different junctures in the road before he ever truly ascended, just proving to them that he was indeed alive. And it's in the, the, the backside of, 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 or the front side, rather, I should say, of all of this that we understand that before Christ ever left the earth, that he had multitudes, of course, at times that followed him. He always seemed to have the uh, characterization and the, the demeanor that he had a drawing effect upon people. Uh, I would dare to say it's not difficult, per se, to get a drawing whenever you bring people back that was dead back to life. That kind of gets people's attention. And uh, whenever there's people that have uh, terminal illnesses, that there is no known medicine of that day that can uh, treat and for sure not heal or totally cause to go away and for him to do that in a moment of a word or a touch that again that that grants some recognition and a drawing together of crowds 
And although there were multitudes at time that listened to him to teach and follow him, he invested the greater portion of his three and a half years of absolute ministry in just a select group of 12 that he actually invested uh, everything that he was, his purpose for coming to the earth to seek and save that which was lost, his message, his dogmas, his doctrines uh, for the salvation of humanity, what those words, he, he invested those into those 12. So those 12 could be very instrumental in setting the world on fire, turning the world upside down, uh, taking the, the message of Christ, if you will, multiplying it by 12. And then them going out and being able to carry that gospel uh, to areas, uh, even unknown areas. And those 12 men that he chose, oftentimes labeled disciples and other places in Scripture spoken of as an apostle or an apostles. An apostle very simply is this. And I know people today, man, we, some people want to write off the idea uh, that the ministry of the apostle was something that's long gone, but I, I, I greatly disagree uh, with that there are still yet modern day apostles in our world today apostle was nothing more but a delegate or a messenger uh, that was sent forth not without orders they had orders the, the 12 whenever they were dispatched from the master they had orders what their message should be what their preaching and their teaching ought to be and the power that they were to go forth with for us today and I have had conversations with pastors before concerning this row of an apostle I think and this is my personal opinion Perhaps the best, the best illustration of a modern-day apostle, in my opinion, would be our missionaries that are sent to foreign lands today. And the reason being is for uh, the most part, the missionaries that we have go forth with the message of Jesus Christ to where sometimes the message is very uh, limited or unknown and they establish churches and Bible schools. Uh, the purporting of, of, of that ministry and the doctrines and the word of God from that place and on and they disseminate that to other people and it just spreads and spreads and spreads. And so in many ways, I see the modern day missionary as the apostles were. We see, we, we even talk about our language is this, the apostle Paul, we talk about his first and second and third missionary trips and he's going from this country to that country. And what we see uh, some of these, I should say some of these are doing, are establishing churches or strengthening the brethren, going back through and strengthening the brethren. Some we know more about, some we know less about. I mean, it's not like we read a whole lot about the feats of Bartholomew. You know, you don't see anyone just stand up and give a Bible study or a 45-minute sermon on the Apostle Bartholomew. And so there's others that may be more known than, than some. But I think it's important that these, that word, the 12, were those that were handpicked by the Lord. Uh, they didn't go to a particular place and, and fill out a resume and say, this is why I need to be a part of the 12. Uh, it wasn't that type of thing. The Lord handpicked these 12 himself. And I think it's important tonight in verse 13, if you want to keep your Bibles open, that might be beneficial. But in Mark chapter number 3 and verse 13, whenever it speaks of Jesus going up to this mountain, the Bible says that he was calling to him those who he would, and they came unto him. I think it's important, first of all, here leading up to this point, there's a multitude following Jesus. The 12 intermixed among them. But now the Lord kind of separates himself, but not just himself, but he separates them. He calls them, these 12, unto him, and they came. And so Jesus separates them from the crowds to the height of a mountain, to an elevated place. He called them, and they came. And perhaps maybe this is something we can derive from scriptures. I don't know if it's hard fast enough, but perhaps maybe one of the first qualifications of apostles is this, is that's heeding the call heeding the call and so they heard him and they came and verses 14 and 15 then speaks to us that it's not just that he called them and they came but the bible used a particular word here it says that jesus ordained the 12 or he appointed the 12 he designated the 12 but not just that they're designated or they're appointed what are they appointed for what are they designated for the Bible continues to bear out what they were ordained for in verse 14, that they should be with him. Number one, primary, first and foremost, among anything else that's listed after that. First and foremost, the apostles were to be with him. They were ordained and appointed and designated for that purpose. But furthermore, they were to be with him. And of course, being with him, they're going to witness the things that Jesus does, the miracles, the healings, the teachings, the instructions, but it goes on and say in verse 14, and that he might send them forth to preach. 
so they've been ordained and appointed that they might be with him, but also so that in some time in the future he may dispatch them to go forth and to preach. And verse 15, this is also a reason why he appointed or designated them and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So they're ordained for the purpose, firstly, to be with the Lord. Secondly, that they might be sent for someday to propagate the ministry, no doubt, they, they witnessed through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but to also practice the same ministry that Jesus practiced. What did the multitudes and even the disciples witness of Jesus? The healing of sicknesses, uh, the, 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 the cleansing of the unclean. He says, when I dispatch you to preach, he said, I've ordained you and appointed you for the very same thing, to take power, if you will, over sicknesses and that unclean spirits would be dispatched. And of course, all of that, not derived from themselves, but derived from their time of having been with the Lord. If you'll remember, if you'll remember the lame man that was sitting at the, the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John came and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given to thee. And they took him by the hand in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk and his feet and his ankles and his leg bones received strength and he did so. You'll remember whenever they were bringing in before the council of that day for this deed that was done that brought a lot of attention to these two and namely to the name of Jesus Christ. You'll remember that the scribes and those rulers that were trying them said this, that they knew that Peter and John were unlearned individuals, but when they seen that they spoke with boldness and had seen what had been done, they said they knew that they had been with Jesus. And so I think it's vitally important for the apostles, their preaching and what they preach was contingent upon first that they had been with Jesus. Any healing of sicknesses or any casting out of demons would have only been uh, uh, prefaced, prefaced upon the idea that they had first and foremost, their first appointment and delegation of being an apostle was to spend time and be with Jesus. And so then the Bible lists for us in verses 16 through 19 the names of those 12 to begin with. If you'll turn with me to John chapter number 17, and I, I, I'm going to get talking about the apostolic truth before we finish here tonight but I might need to run already here we go John chapter number 17 and verse number 17 Jesus this is what's commonly known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ before uh, he would ever be crucified or betrayed in the garden uh, this is his prayer uh, first and foremost his prayer was for his disciples for that 12 that he had invested his life in. And these are some of the words that Christ prayed for those 12. He says in verse 17, sanctify them. The word sanctify, just a fancy word for separate. Sanctify them, or if you will, separate them. How? Through thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth, he says. He says, I want to separate them from the crowds of the rest of the multitudes that follow me, from the other men that are always vying for my attention and the throngs of the crowd. I'm going to separate them from them, amen, with truth. And it is your word that is this truth. God's word is what's going to separate them from everyone else. Now, I'm already starting to step in on the apostolic truth right here. Because right here in the beginning, Christ is, is setting aside those that he has handpicked and chosen as his by saying the way that I'm going to do that is by my word. My word is going to be the distinguishable mark that you are mine and handpicked apart from anyone else. And so there is a very great distinction upon the, you might call it the apostolic faith or religion, but I just call it the apostolic Bible. All right? Uh, I don't necessarily call myself a denomination or religion. I call myself a Bible-believing person. And according to the apostolic truth, something that will separate uh, Bible believers' apostolic truth from any other truth is His Word. Good old Word. Good old black and red and white Word of God that will cause a separation, amen, upon God's people. And so He prays this. He prays this prayer over them. He says in verse 18... And as 
and thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. In other words, the mission of the disciples was no different than the mission of Jesus Christ. Amen. God sent his son. Amen. And Jesus is sending his disciples into the world as well. Verse 19, and for their sakes, the disciples' sakes, the apostles' sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. In other words, Jesus is saying, I was sanctified too. I was separated for a purpose and for a cause in so much that these could be separated for a purpose and for a cause. And he, first, he prays in verse 20, neither pray I for these, these apostles alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their, the apostles' word. So I'm not just praying for them, but I'm praying for those that would hear the word that they preach, which was the word that he had preached, that he had taught and instructed to them. So in addition to praying for his apostles, he was praying for the world, if you will, that would believe on him through the apostles' word, if I could say it like this, which the apostles' word was his word, which was truth. He says, I'm praying, on, I'm praying for those that would hear this same truth that I have spoken unto them. Remember, whenever they were sent forth to preach, they preached what they had witnessed because they had been with him. And so when we read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is an understanding and a collection, really, of what the apostles preached, what they taught, what they did. In some of your Bibles, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's what they taught, what they preached, what they did. And so we understand tonight, there's these apostles. They've been separated by God's word for a purpose, amen, by that truth. And God says, I'm praying for those that's going to hear the truth of the apostles, that they might come to know me. And so that's one reason why still yet today, centuries removed from that time, we still teach and we still preach the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' preaching, the apostles' teaching, because Christ already prayed for that teaching and preaching for those that would hear it, that would believe on him through it. Did someone say amen? amen? And so this is the reason why we do this. Not only that, he set the, the apostles up to be a foundation of this church that he has. And I say the church. We're not a part of this, this, this concept that all roads lead to heaven. That, and I think I even, just in a little blip, someone I think said this on the radio this week, and it's so true. If all roads led to heaven, I guess there would have been no need for a Savior. Nevertheless, Ephesians chapter number 2, Christ set it up that these apostles would be very foundational to the ministry or to the church that is, not of just that age, but of ages, of the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, now therefore, just as a preface, here is uh, the apostle Paul. He's writing in Ephesians. He's speaking to some Gentile believers and he's telling them you're not what you once were. You're not what you used to be. And so he's telling them now you're a part of the household of God. You were a part of a, a different faction. You were, you were of the world, but now you're not what you once was. So he tells them in verse nine, 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're of a, you're of a different household now. You're a part of the household of God. But he goes from this household terminology to start talking about the foundation because any house has a foundation. Any building has, a, any edifice has a foundation. He says in verse 12, since you're not a part of this, and are built upon the foundation of, can someone read that next two words? The apostles. You, you, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Amen. So with the case of any house, here is the foundation and the contents of, of this foundation are the apostles as it would relate to the New Testament ministry and the prophets as it would relate to the Old Testament ministry but also Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone amen 
So even with Jesus, if we take this now, folks, because we know the apostles, we've already learned a little bit of them. We learned a little bit how they're sanctified by the word, the truth. Amen. The prophets of old, we see many of the things that they prophesied and spoke are regurgitated in New Testament scripture. You know, a lot of you, man, that Old Testament, I'm glad we're in the New Testament. We read the New Testament. Who cares about the Old Testament? Well, you love the New Testament so much. I want to tell you that there are many, many, I don't have a figure up here right now, but there are several, several verses that's in the New Testament that's nothing more but a regurgitation of the Old Testament. All the New Testament Bible thumpers. Amen. You need the whole word of God. As a matter of fact, if you read the Gospels, Amen, up until even the time of Christ, that was still yet all under the law, and they were still just dealing with a lot of nothing, but what they had in hand was not the New Testament scriptures. That didn't come till later. They had the Old Testament. That's what they were living life according and by. And so anyway, so we have all this. If we consider Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, what does the Bible tell us concerning this, this word of God in John 1.1? 1, 1? In, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. We oftentimes jump down then to verse 14. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became what? Flesh. So when we talk about Jesus Christ being a chief cornerstone, it, through that concept of John 1 and 1 and 1 and 14, we understand not just Jesus Christ being a part of this foundation stone, but the word. The word of God is a part of this foundation stone. The word of God that the, those apostles, amen, preached and taught and purported in their lives. And so that is what this household of God is built upon. That's what this household of God is built upon. And so you cannot be a part of the household of God without that being the foundation. Mm -hmm. The apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ. That is, that is the characterization of the foundation. And here's the thing. No one has to lay any other foundation. We are responsible for how we build on that foundation. We were not asked to create a foundation. We were not asked to hoe out a foundation or anything like that. Poor footer, that wasn't up to us. He says, I got it for you. You build upon what I provide for you. And so to, to, do, to do anything outside them in the realm of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ and his word is laying a foundation that Christ didn't lay is to build upon something that he never meant to be built upon. Amen. And so we must stay with the characterization then of the foundation that Christ has supplied. Not only that, concerning these apostles or the apostolic faith, it must be pretty important insomuch that back when we did our study in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and verse number 10, whenever John is speaking about in that day and hour when he will see a new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven, the Bible said when he was carried away in Revelation 21, 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain, shoo me. The great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And if you go down then to verse number 14, he says, And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Yeah. Now, folks, the apostles that we base this apostolic truth on is pretty important if their names are inscribed in the 12 foundation stones of the new Jerusalem of that wall. If he's willing to make them an eternal part of that home to come, they need to be a part of our home right now. Amen. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Let your fingers do the walking tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 10. The apostle Paul writes these words. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation because he was an apostle. Someone said, see, he just, he's all, you got a contradictory going on. You said we weren't supposed to. He's an apostle. One of, the, one of the apostles. He says, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So again, Paul's describing this. He says, I'm a master builder. I'm a chief architect. I'm an expert builder. I've been instructed of the Lord, and I have laid the foundation. I'm an apostle. I'm one of those that have laid the foundation. Jesus Christ, the prophets, I'm in that group that laid the foundation. And he says, you then, here's what I told you just a little while ago, you got to take heed, though, how you build upon the foundation that we laid. you got to consider how you're building on this foundation. 
In other words, what you build on this must be in agreement with the foundation. It would be horrible to have a square foundation and try to build a triangular house on it. Amen. Or a circle or an octagon house upon it because they're not in agreement. Yet every day of our lives, people are attempting just that. Or they're building circular houses because they've laid circular foundations that are, have no correspondence, the apostles and prophets and the word of God. Amen. Now, look at this now going on in verse number 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Paul says there's one foundation that's been laid. It's been laid, really, it's Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. There is no other foundation. No man can lay another foundation. Verse number, verse number 12, and if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, then every man's work shall be made manifest. Amen. Again, he didn't ask us to lay the foundation. That's taken care of. We're just to build upon what is there. So the apostles, if you read about their stories, and a lot of what they did, what did they do? And I, 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 I related them to modern-day missionaries. They were, many of them, church starters. And you, to, church, to have church started, you need a good foundation. And so a lot of these apostles are going forth and they're church starters, laying foundations, if you will, maybe in a literal and in a figurative sense for several churches throughout Asia and so forth. Amen. And what the problem was this, the problem that we read all throughout the epistles in the New Testament Scripture the apostles are gone, and they're starting these churches, and they no sooner get left, and somebody's trying to change, take issue or contradict what the apostles taught while they were in that region and in that area. And they had no sooner left that, you know, Paul's getting his pen wet, starting to try to correct what's already going awry because people's trying to change what had been taught from the apostles. Boy, things have not changed all that much. Amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 16 and verse number 17. Romans 16 and verse number 17. The Bible says these words. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. We're not just talking about somebody having a disagreement and they sat in my seat, so on and so forth. Okay. That happens all, no, I'm just saying. That happens all the time. No, I'm joking. But he said, Mark those that causes, causes divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. What doctrine? The doctrines that the apostles had, had given and had taught, which ye have learned. It's contrary to the doctrine which you Romans, we have taught you this, which you've learned and avoid them. Stay clear of anybody that's trying to change the doctrine that the apostles taught you. That, that, that is the bottom line. Stay clear of anybody that's trying to change the doctrine that the apostles taught you. For modern day, stay clear. Stay clear of anyone. Avoid those that are trying to sway you from the doctrine that we teach, which is the apostles' doctrine. Someone say amen. amen. Oh, God. I'm feeling something here. Because there's some things we allow into our homes. You think TBN is innocent? I'm here to tell you differently. Because a lot of doctrine that's being supported by that station and others is not what the apostles taught, not what the apostles preached, and when you just say, well, it's innocent, they got good singing in between, and I like some of the words they say, you better be careful what you're opening your soul to because you're allowing false doctrine to proliferate inside of it. Avoid anything that is, mark them, mark them, put a mark of designation on them that cause division and offense that's contrary to the doctrine that you've learned. Because that apostle's doctrine it's a foundational thing it's biblical teaching that cannot be changed cannot be altered 
And so what we had here then was people that were teaching and preaching evidently that was contrary to the doctrine they had learned. Amen. And the apostles, again, and I'm just going to kind of do a little commercial here if we go to Hebrews chapter number 2, just to see again where the apostles get these ideas. This wasn't something they pulled out of their inside of their robe pocket, you know. It ain't something they seen in some mirage out in the desert taking care of the sheep. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 2, if we understand where this came from for the apostles, it says in verse number 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels would steadfast, which it was, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, which it did, how shall we escape... If we neglect so great salvation, listen, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Who were those 12 that was handpicked that had that intimate relationship with the Lord during the three and a half years of ministry? The apostles. says it was first preached by the Lord, but it's been confirmed to us by them. Amen. And so what the Romans heard back in the book of Romans, where we're at, Romans 16, the word that they heard, it was first preached by the Lord, but it was confirmed unto them by the apostles. Someone say amen. amen. By the apostles. Look now back at Romans again. Romans 16 and verse 18. I'm telling you, use those fingers. He says in verse 18, For they that are such people that cause division and offenses that's contrary to the doctrine. Those are the they they're speaking about. For they that are such serve. This is strong. I'm just preparing you right now. This is God's word. They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. That's strong meat. But that's God's word. Serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Now, we're not talking about a bunch of Buddha worshipers here that's worshiping Buddha bellies. What it's talking about here is that they serve their own desires. Their, their, their own desires. Their own wishes. And by good words, look at it now, and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They that cause divisions over the original doctrine do two things that we learn or two things concerning this scripture that we learned. Number one, they serve not the Lord. Number two, they deceive people. And more particularly, it says good words and fair speeches. Being a good orator or because you have 10,000 in your church doesn't make your doctrine right. I'll go to say just because you used to be licensed with the UPCA, UPCI or ALJC and you said now that you have a fresh revelation and you still got a touch of anointing of your past experience and you purport false doctrine, don't make it a lick right. Because I could name some big names to you right now that used to be according to the apostolic truth. They're not anymore. Well... They serve not the Lord and they deceive people with good words and fair speeches. Amen. You can go on to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 as you're turning there. There's something we see a lot of in even the letters that Paul writes. I mean, we know he's writing them by and large. You know, he talks in these words like we and us. And he don't have a mouse in his pocket, all right? He's talking in this language of me or, or we and us. And a lot of times when we see him doing that, he is speaking as for the apostles, for those that he was in knit with. And so many times you see the words we and us in the New Testament, only one apostle is really writing, but he's speaking for and encompassing the whole group of the apostles. And so when we read in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 1, the Bible says, here's Paul, Paul's the one writing this, he says, therefore seeing we, speaking for the whole group of the apostles, we have this ministry as we have received mercy we faint not the Bible says we the apostles we have this ministry look at verse number 2 but have renounced who has we have the apostles have have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty 
not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestations of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul said, we the apostles, we we renounce dishonesty, and we renounce deceitfully handling the word of God, which is absolutely different than what those with their good words and fair speeches are doing. They were doing just that. They were deceiving the simple, the Bible says. It says, but we're not, we're not deceitfully handling God's word. Amen. But on the contrary, he says, we're supporting truth. Amen. Which we know God's word is. We know God's word is that truth. In the sight of God, we're, we're commending ourselves, our message to these people in God's sight because it's truth. Look at verse number three. But, everybody say but. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, important phrase, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Look now. The phrase, blinding the minds of them, which believe not. I want to point out just some things in these two verses here. Some of the results of non-belief in the apostolic truth. Some of the results of non-belief in the apostolic message, in the apostolic truth. Them that believe not is this. If you have no belief in the apostolic truth, the gospel will be hid to you. The gospel will be hid to you. If you don't have belief in the apostolic truth, furthermore, the Bible speaks concerning them that they... And evidence are lost. It's hid to them that are lost, the Bible says. Furthermore, he says they're blinded. When you're willing to receive a lie, I, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. If you believe a lie and you don't believe the truth, then you're going to be blinded by the lie and not be able to see the truth. He says in verse 5, look now, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Apostle said, we're not preaching Paul's gospel. We're not preaching Peter's gospel. He said, we're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, and this is where we're at in the hierarchy of everything. We're just servants of the Lord. We're not lords of the servants. (laughs) We're servants of the Lord. Amen. Galatians chapter number one. Everybody doing okay? Let's run. Galatians chapter number one. We've been in Galatians a lot on Sunday mornings. Here's a different chapter. Galatians chapter number one and verse number six. He's speaking to the Galatians. Here's one of those episodes. He's went, established a church in Galatia. Truth. He leaves. Others come in starting to be contrary to the message of the apostles. And he is just flabbergasted. He says in in Galatians 1 verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Paul is marveling. He's amazed at the fact that they've already turned from Christ and his message and his gospel to what he's calling, quote, unquote, another gospel. But look at verse 7, which is not another. You don't want to leave you dangling there to make you think that there is such a thing as another gospel. He says there isn't another. There isn't another, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. So Paul says they're turning you from the gospel of the apostles, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to what you're calling another gospel. But the fact and reality of the matter is there is not another. He says, but they're coming and they're talking to you, they're troubling you. And look, here's where that, folks. Listen to me very clearly right here. There's one gospel. There's one way. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, all that oneness. There's one apostolic truth. To believe anything else is not to believe another gospel. Look what he said. He said they came and they perverted the gospel of Christ. There's not another 
The only thing that they can do in the world is take the one gospel there is and pervert it, twist it, turn it. You hearing me? There's not another separate entity from that. There's only one. And the only thing that people can do with the one is to pervert it. And I don't know if my speech is very clear in this, but I'll say I would almost believe and think it would be better if there was another than to take the true and to pervert it. But there's not another. There's only one gospel. And so they just take that one gospel, that one foundation, if you will, they alter it, they change it, they pervert it, the Bible says. And it says in verse 8, but though we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven, preach any other quote-unquote gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The apostle said, we already been through Galatia. We've already preached to you the message of Christ. We've already preached to you the apostles' doctrine and the scriptures concerning that. And so if there's any of us, yahoos, that come back through and we're preaching something different than what we preached the first time we were there, or if you see an apparition or an angel that's supposedly from heaven and it's preaching something contrary to what we preach, you need to label that. You need to mark that because they're not of this gospel. They're deceiving you with their good words and their speeches and you need to have nothing to do with them. They're cursed. So what's say amen. He said in verse 9, just to reiterate, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Why? Because there's not another gospel. If you're hearing something different, it's because they took what was true and perverted it. And you don't need to have anything to do with something that's perverted or perversion. I stand here in this good Wednesday night Bible study and tell you, I don't care if they call them apostolic. If it's different than what the apostles preach, you better mark them. I don't care what type of label they have on their life. There's no other gospel but that which is laid by the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's different, somebody's perverting it. Hmm. Paul says, look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul said, I'm not in this apostolic commission doing what I'm doing with the burden of trying to please men. Mm -hmm. my allegiance is in trying to please God someone hearing me that's the reason why I'm saying should I be should, should, should I persuade should I persuade men or God I'm in this thing for God because here we are folks We're dealing with men pleasers I'll tell you what you want to hear I'll make you feel comfortable about your life I'll make you be comfortable about your lifestyle your habits what you do or don't do, I'll make you feel comfortable about it. Make you feel comfortable believing that you can just live the way you want to live and you're going to make it to heaven and you're going to see Jesus Christ someday. Everything's going to be fine. That's a bunch of foolishness. That's a bunch of men-pleasing, fair-speeching speeches. What you need is a man of God. What you need is the apostle's doctrine that stands up and says, hey, this might not please men, but this is what our founder, this is what our author and our finisher of our faith said it's going to be. We're not here to please men. We're here to please God. And without faith in that word, no man shall please him. Now, no one misunderstand me. Now, you're saying that all these people are without hope. No, they got hope. But they got to take heed how they would build upon the foundation that Christ laid. And sometimes that means making some design changes on how you was going to build. To stay in accordance with the foundation that has been laid. First Peter chapter number 4. Amen. First Peter 4, verse number 17. 
Peter really supplies or puts forward a couple of questions here. Gives a statement, but then follows it with a few questions. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Because the house of God is where that one foundation that was laid, that house is built upon. Judgment first going to begin at the house of God. And can I tell you tonight, I'm glad it does. I know we read that scripture sometime with the edge of, you better watch out, buddy. Judgment's going to begin at the house of God. We better be joyfully happy that it starts at God's house before it starts in the day of judgment. I'd much rather have the judge to come down during the house before it reaches the day of judgment. (laughs) It's like giving the test before the test and saying, we're going to just see how you do it, but the test is next Thursday, but we're going to take it today. (laughs) I'd much rather have that because what that does is increase my odds for the day. And so I'm well pleased that that judgment first begins at the house of God. But then he follows it up with a couple of questions here. And if it first begin at us, everybody say at us. You know, he, he's, encompassing, he's encompassing the apostles here. He's encompassing all of us, no doubt, here. He says, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God, which is the only gospel there is. There's not another gospel. If there's another gospel, it's perverted. That's the only way there can be so-and-so, quote-unquote, another. Everybody just follow what I just said. then what's going to be the end of those that obey not the gospel of God verse 18 and if the righteous scarcely be saved old southern Illinois lingo if we barely make it in by the skin of our teeth where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear and it just kind of leaves us hanging there (laughs) just thought I'd just Give that to you, just think about. Well, Peter asked the questions, but we garner some answers from the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. Number one, look what he said. He said, if you're troubled, he said, rest with us. Be comforted. The Lord Jesus is going to be revealed. Here is a good, here is a good test in some regards concerning your relationship where you stand with God. If when people start talking about the Lord comes back, if that makes you happy or if that makes you nervous. He said, you that are troubled, rest, rest with us. Be comfortable when, when, the Lord, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look now at verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter asks, what's the result for those that obey not the gospel? Paul answers, Lord's coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God or have not obeyed the gospel of the Lord. Right? That's what it says. He says in verse 9, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? So this obeying not the gospel, knowing not God, encompasses the ungodly, the sinner. And I think Paul is answering very well. There's going to be flaming fire of vengeance upon them, punishment of everlasting destruction on them that he answers. Everybody doing all right? I'm close to a close. I really am. I know you might be surprised. I got six minutes till it's 830. We can do it. Second Thessalonians, fingers do the walking. Second Thessalonians. Not 2 Thessalonians, 1 John, rather. We were just at 2 Thessalonians. 1 John, 
and you should have plenty of time. I'm, I'm turning up here tonight just to make everybody feel comfortable. I'm not depending on the screen. I'm turning into my real Bible right here to the scriptures. First John chapter number four and verse number six. It says, what this is is a litmus truth, a litmus test rather of truth or error. It's a good litmus test for truth or error. First John four, verse number six. We are of God. Stated emphatically. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. Now, here's this us and we stuff again. What are you talking about? The apostles. We're of God. He that knoweth God. Bishop prays this all the time. Bishop prays this prayer talking about truth and error. Don't you, Bishop? Because I know he does. I've heard him pray it several times. We're of God. He that knoweth God heareth. Gives ear, attention to us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby, here's the litmus test, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He says we are of God. The apostles are of God. We're part of the foundation of the household of God. If you know God, you're going to hear the apostles. You're going to hear the apostles' message. You're going to hear the apostles' doctrine. You're going to listen, give ear and heed to those things. If you're not of God, you will not hear the apostles' message. You will not give ear to the apostolic truth. You'll be listening for the fair speech and good words of a deceptive man that's perverted the one gospel. You'll be eager to hear someone to tell you how you're so right in feeling the way you do and living the way that you are and it don't matter a hill of beans to God. But someone is known to be in truth. Here it is, the litmus test. You're known to be in truth or error by, here it is, how you respond to the apostle's message. Truth or error is decided on how you react and respond to the apostolic Bible. Might I even interject? Because that's what the apostolic message is. Bible. Truth. Second John. I'm, I'm running. Everybody run with me. Second John chapter number one. Verse number nine. The Bible states these words. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Let me read again, because I'm reading this. I'm the voice. You're seeing me, but I'm reading from your Bibles. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So if you abide not in the doctrine of Christ, you have not God. Now look at verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, here we go again. They're dealing with the same thing. They've established churches, other people coming through. They're saying, if any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, which is the only doctrine, the only message, the only foundation, receive him not into your house. Mm-hmm. Look at it now. Neither bid him God speed. See, if a person brings not the doctrine of Christ, don't receive him into your house and don't bid them God speed. In layman's terms, don't encourage them to share their air. Let me tell you something that frustrates me beyond end, and this is just personally as a person, but I think I've got biblical basis on it. And that is when everybody wants to fan the flame of somebody that's engrossed in false doctrine. And tell them how good of a job they're doing all that stuff. Let me tell you, you are bidding God's speed. And that's a bunch, it's a bunch of baloney. You'd be better off to keep your mouth shut about whatever may or may not be happening in their ministry. Because if they're purporting error, you're saying great job. They might be successful in what they're doing. But if they're not supporting the only true gospel, you need to keep your mouth shut about you're doing a great job.
And if you're sending seed money to some of these pe- people that's belching out a bunch of false doctrine, you better put that right back in the first apostolic church because you, what you're doing is saying God speak to your mission and your ministry. Well, they're building churches over there. They are, but they're doing it on an unfounded foundation, folks. You hear me today? I'm talking about apostolic God, Bible-believing truth. Don't bid them Godspeed. So then Jude follows it up in Jude chapter 1. Don't go looking for another one because that's the only chapter there is in Jude. Jude 1 and verse 3. Because of all this garbage that was taking place in the New Testament church, takes place even today, he comes to him and tells him, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common. Everybody say common. Common salvation. That tells me in the New Testament church, there was really one idea and concept that was being purported. It was common. It was known. It was just basic to everybody. But somebody started coming in and perverting things. He said, I was going to talk to you about this common salvation that we all have learned of, been instructed about, have received. I was going to talk to you about that, but there's something more needful right now. And what I'm about ready to say is needful because of the perversion that's taken place with this one gospel. He said, there's one, one thing needful for me right now to write to you and exhort to you that you earnestly contend, fight for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says, I, I would talk about the gospel. I would talk about Jesus Christ. I would talk about baptism in Jesus' name. I'd talk about all these great things. But you know what? You know what the greatest hindrance in our day of the gospel is? It's having to combat the falsities that people are putting, the perversions people are putting on the gospel. We got to spend so much time about talking about what's right so people know what's right and what's wrong. We just can't get up and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Because everybody else thinks you're going to be baptized in titles and you can get the Holy Ghost if you want to. It's just a second blessing and all this garbage. I'm talking about the apostolic truth. My God. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a salesman here tonight. I don't have anything to sell. I'm not making commission on anything I'm trying to tell you, but I'm just trying to echo the words of the apostles. I'm just trying to echo the words of Jesus Christ. And if you love him the way that you say you'll love him, you'll accept his words, you'll accept his doctrine, you'll accept his foundation, and you'll fall in love with Jesus and let the naysayers nay. And if your life's not pleasing to him, you'll get pleasing to him because you'd rather please God than you'd please yourself or man any day of the week stand with me please Woo. hey 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 Oh, Jesus. So we need to be heralders of truth today. We need to be heralders of apostolic truth today. Let's shut down all the gimmicks. Let's get back to truth. Huh? Let's get back to truth. Good old-fashioned, common salvation, truth. If you're saying, well, I just can't believe, I just can't believe some people don't see it. Because of the perversions that have been manufactured. Many signs. That has then been the impact upon society the reason they don't see it because too many other people are bringing something that's twisted and perverted in their presence 
They're more adamant about sharing their perversion than we are our truth. And here's the thing, Sister Candy. Get two of us in the same place and we're intimidated to speak truth. But we'll willingly let them speak their perversion when there is no other. Now, what would you be more confident in? <sighs> Let's raise our hands. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.